you and what you are calling us to, that we might live a life that is worthy of that call. We love you. We thank you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. It is great to be here with you. Uh, my name is Eric Wakeling, if we've not met, and just excited to be able to share uh, some of God's word with you today. Uh, so yeah, we are continuing in this book of Galatians. It's been a great series so far. And today, the part that we have for you is this, this portion that we're talking about standing firm. And, and one thing I think about uh, when I think about standing firm was when I was a little kid, uh, even maybe a couple weeks ago, you saw when I had this picture of uh, my 70s family up here that we lived in this house in Laguna Beach. But I lived in Laguna Beach, and then we moved from Laguna Beach to Capo Beach. So I only lived in, in cities that had beach in the name. So beach was a big part of our lives. We would spend a lot of time at the beach. And one of the things I, I loved doing is, I mean, remember, you know, little kids, and you play the game where you kind of hold their hand, and like the, right at the shore, and the waves come, and you kind of jump over the water as it comes, and that sort of thing. I loved then uh, going a little bit farther out as a kid, and then I would, I would do this thing where you kind of wiggle like this, you know what I'm talking with your feet, and then your feet sink into the sand, like where it's on that wet part, and it gets, it gets deep, so you're kind of like locked in like concrete. And then I remember like then the waves would crash against me, and you try to have to, the game was to try and be able to stand up, even when the waves, and your, but your feet are stuck, so you're like, whoa, you know, and, and that whole thing. And so as the waves are crashing against, you, you're standing firm, right? So as we have this stand firm in the freedom of Jesus, we need to be standing Firm, but in the right thing, standing firm in Christ. So as we look into this, uh, you can even start turning in your Bibles to Galatians 5 now. I encourage you, uh, it's uh, this passage, it's these 12 verses in Galatians 5. And really, um, and if you have the notes too, you'll see that it has this sort of a little extravagant of a subtitle of Stand Firm in the Freedom of Jesus, a three-movement symphony in the Spirit. Uh, because, and I know it's a little much, but like what we have here is these three sections of these 12 verses, and there's this rhythm to it of these three sections where Paul gives this positive and then a negative. It's like a reminder and then a warning. A reminder and then a warning. And then the third one, it's like a an encouragement, and then he has this tough call-out condemnation for these people that are, that are troubling uh, these people of, of Galatia. So we'll go through each of these movements, looking at this rhythm of this positive-negative, positive-negative ne- as it goes through. So the first movement, okay, let's just get into it. First movement, keep standing firm in what Jesus has done. So let's read those first four verses of Galatians 5. And it starts with this great... This great sentence that will actually, we've sung a song a lot, we'll sing a song uh, in a little bit later. It's like these, almost these exact words. It says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So that's the positive. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And then he goes into the negative. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision... Christ will be of no benefit to you. Now, we'll talk about this. This is not just people who are circumcised, okay? This is about taking on the law and obeying the law and thinking that you can uh, be justified by it, as you'll see. Verse 3, it says, And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You, here's the key part, you who are seeking to be justified by law, 
you have fallen from grace. Okay? So we, we have this, this positive part first. Let's look into this. Keep standing firm. We want to keep standing firm in what Jesus has done. Now this is a moment, this is one of those moments where grammar matters. Okay, now I'm a bit of a grammar nerd in some way, although I will probably make some mistakes even today with my grammar, but I like grammar. I mean, I was the sixth grade Orange County Spelling Bee champion. I mean, come on, right? (laughs) The applause. The applause is amazing. Okay, uh, so I have bragged about that before. I will probably brag about that again. It is my nerd, like, you know, it's just my carrying nerd card that I've got that I can just win all these contests. But, uh, you know, it is, uh, but yeah, it was great. I love, I, I do love grammar, and uh, I hate the Oxford comma. So if you want to a- argue about that later, we can. Stuff like that. Things that really matter. Uh, but in, in this passage... Uh, where grammar matters is that you see there is something called an indicative statement at the beginning that Christ has set us free. This is in this tense where it is a completed action. It's a single past action that has been completed. Christ has set us free. We don't need to keep setting ourselves free or keep like trying to be set free. Christ did it. He did it on the cross and through the resurrection, okay? The power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. By that, Christ has set us free. But then it gives this imperative. And the imperative is like a command where it says, keep standing firm. So this imperative, though, of keep standing firm, it comes after and out of the indicative. Okay, so not to bore you, but just to say it more normally, all right, is that... This thing that has been done for you with this single past action, that is what then gives us the power to be able to do the command that we've been given. So we keep standing firm, but not in ourselves or in like in our ability to stand firm. We stand firm in what Christ has done for us. Okay, so we recognize that Jesus has set us free and now we stand firm in that. And then we'll get into talking about how the power of the Holy Spirit gives us the strength to be able to do that. All right? So we stand firm in the work that's already been done. So when God gives us the imperative or the command, he's saying, do this out of that work that I have already done for you. And so as we have to keep standing firm, it's... You know, what we have to be reminded of is to not give in to the human nature, this this pull of human nature that we have to help ourselves, to work it out ourselves. It's just sort of like, it's sort of how we just work and function normally is that we would think we do things ourselves. That's just what we do in life. We do it ourselves. And it's hard, and it's harder to get our heads around this thing of trusting in the work of God. But we have to have faith. And so that's where faith comes into the picture, and, and we'll talk more about that as we go. But, but I do think about some images when I think about standing firm, that, that thing in the beach and the ocean where you're, you know, you're standing in that. But I also think about even stepping into a, a rushing river. Have you ever walked into a river that's rushing pretty quickly? And you feel that, that pull. And so if you were to stand in that rushing river and just say you're standing on solid rock, and even maybe for the sake of the illustration to not be, you know, messed up, your, your feet are even cemented into that solid rock, right? But even then, 
you don't just sort of casually stand there, right? When the water is rushing at you, you just get slammed back. And maybe you still drown, even though your feet are locked in. So you, you stand firm. You lean into it. And you stand firm in the power that, that, that you have in that moment in the river. But what we stand firm in this life, as the river is rushing at us or the waves are crashing against us, we stand firm in what Christ has done for us. Uh, there's a verse I want us to look at that um, in Psalm 1, it talks about this man who is blessed. It says that his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. So this one that, and I, I want you to think of this as like this, this person that dwells on the word of God, that loves the word of God. Not by doing the law is justified or something, but one who, who loves the word of God, who all of the breadth of God's word says that it is by grace you've been saved through faith and all of this. That person will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Firmly rooted, planted in the word of God and in what God has done, that's like how we stand strong. Uh, I I even think of this like when it comes to marriage. My wife and I, we just uh, celebrated our 20th anniversary this last Wednesday. It was very exciting, yeah. And uh, so just uh, so, so blessed uh, like by God and what God has done in us and awesome just to be married to this woman for 20 years and celebration. We're actually leaving on a little trip tomorrow just to celebrate for that. And, uh, but when I think about that and was standing firm, you know, 20 years ago, we stood on a stage and we made vows, right? We, we made these vows to one another and it's this moment where it's, you know, all like very fancy and lovey and, you know, strong emotions and everything's good and happy. And then you go 20 years and you've got bills and kids and struggles and hard, like the hard parts of life, right, can come along. And in the midst of like 20 years or or 50 or 5 or whatever, you, in those moments when, when life is hard, you keep standing firm in the vows that we made 20 years ago. In those moments, you know, in the moment that was all happy and all that, you have to kind of go back to that moment of vows. And, and I know even in our Christian lives, we have the moment however long ago that was for you, that moment where you received that gift of salvation from Jesus Christ and you began to live as a follower of Jesus, your conversion moment, that was probably a time full of passion and and love and joy and it's like excitement, strong emotion, all of that. And, you know, 20 years later, with bills and life and kids and struggle, like that, you know, or whatever it is in, in your life, sometimes it's easy to forget of the joy of that moment, right? And, and, and what that was. So we keep standing firm in what God did in us at that moment of conversion. And we keep standing firm, though, in what, the work that he did on the cross. The work that he did through the power of the resurrection. All of that. We stand firm in it. And I just love this sort of like just little line of we stand most firm when on our knees. That in prayer before God is when we stand firm. When we completely trust and rely on him. A, a little story of my life when I think about this, this whole thing of standing firm was just uh, uh, like the way I was, so I was raised in this Christian home, right? I, I was raised in a, a family that, that were Christians. I went to a little Christian school and it was this small private school where we had my eighth grade class, maybe like 30 people total in my eighth grade class. 
And then I went from that to this big, maybe 2,500-person public high school, St. Clemente High School. And I went there, and it was just this such a huge change, right, from that little school to this big place. And uh, it was, I remember it being sort of, like, overwhelming in some ways. And I remember being, you know, kind of introduced even more so to certain temptations and things that, that came in my life that I was, I was tempted by. And... Um, I even remember like being sort of tempted through like stories of people's testimonies I'd hear in church, you know, and I'd hear these stories of people like, oh, I had this crazy life and then I accepted Jesus, you know, whatever. And I was kind of like, I don't know, I just like go to church every week and go to school and just, I don't know, it's boring. You know, to me, I felt like my my story was boring, Um, which is a huge lie of the enemy and all that. But in the midst of that, my parents did something that was very dumb of parents to do. And they went away for a week and left me home. Uh, and so that's just like advice to parents of 16-year-old boys. Don't do that. Uh, bad idea. And so what, what it was was that like you had the, they were gone for a weekend, a school week, and then another weekend. And so I was home and the first weekend of that was when my, like my best friend Matt and I went and got a bunch of beer and just got drunk at my house. And I remember it was actually, um, I remember throwing up all over the place, and I don't know why we continue to do it, but it was, you know, that night was kind of crazy. And then what we decided to do was then uh, throw a party at my house the next weekend. And so we decided this party at my house the next weekend, which at some point, I'll tell you the full story of that party, because that will take another like 15 minutes to get through it. But uh, it's kind of a crazy thing that really resulted in me calling the police on my own party. And <laughs> so I called the cops on my own party to get all these like, sketchy guys that showed up to leave. And they kicked everybody out. And I got in like massive trouble because the thing that 16-year-old boys don't always realize is that you have these things called neighbors. And so, you know, neighbors told on me. Uh, and so I got in trouble. I'd also lied to my dad. And it was bad, bad news. So I got in a lot of trouble. And, but getting in trouble didn't stop me. Kept doing stuff I was doing, um, just drinking, partying, doing that kind of thing. And I remember, so getting in trouble didn't stop. My, my buddy Matt, who ended up, like, over the summer at, between junior and senior year, he had, like, had this moment of repentance and, and all that and stopped doing it. But that didn't stop me either. But I remember it was my senior year. It was in the winter of my senior year. I went on a, a snowboard trip, ski snowboard trip, with my youth group. And went on this trip, and what we do is just kind of, like, ski or snowboard during the day, and then at night, we, there's like only like 40 of us or something like that, and we were in this big, big sort of like living room type thing with a fireplace, and we'd have these long times of worship. And I remember like the youth pastor would sit in the hearth by the fire, the acoustic guitar, you know, just playing the songs. We'd have these long times of worship, and our youth pastor would kind of sit up the front, and like you could go up and pray with him, like while, just while the worship was happening and all that. And it was in the midst of that time when I just had this, this significant moment of conviction from the Holy Spirit of God. Wasn't from getting in trouble, wasn't from, you know, uh, seeing other people, like, turn around. For me, it was straight just conviction from the Holy Spirit that in the midst of that moment, I needed to not only confess to God and repent of what I had been doing, but confess to all of my friends in the youth group as well, because I was living this total double life of, of, uh, you know, this kind of good kid at church, Partially because my dad worked there, you know, and then, uh, uh, <laughs> and then this other person with my school friends, you know, and 
And so I just said, you know, hey, I actually kind of like stopped the whole thing. Like, hey, guys, <laughs> can we just like stop? I, I, I need to say something. And I said, like, I just want to confess before God and, and repent of what I've been doing and confess before you and apologize to you for how I've been living my life. Because I've been living a lie before God and before you as my friends here, you know. And it was this awesome moment where they came around me and just laid their hands on me and prayed over me. And it was a significant moment of decision. But the keep standing firm part needed to happen after that moment, right? We have these moments of decision or these sort of significant churning repentance kind of moments where we're heading in one direction and we turn around to head towards God. But it's at that point where you keep standing firm. It was on all those Saturday nights when people would call and be like, hey, Matt, Eric, are you coming to the party at so-and-so's house? You know, we'd say, no, we're watching Saturday Night Live or something, you know. We're just like, or we'd like just do stupid stuff like go ice blocking or probably do pranks and whatever. And just uh, doing like a bunch of stuff to keep ourselves busy. Because we had to keep standing firm from not, you know, and not go back into that thing, into doing that stuff. And, and so for us, that's where like it, the hard work of repentance comes. Yes, the power comes through the Holy Spirit. And we trust in the Holy Spirit but that standing firm happens when the, the temptations of life come your way. And so there's that keep standing firm. Christ has set you free for freedom. He has set you free. Not for a life of going back to the bondage of slavery, of thinking that the law will justify you. And then he says these strong words of like, if you receive circumcision or if you trust in a work, a human work outside of the work of God for your salvation or your love from God, then you, then Christ, he says, Christ will have no benefit to you. So if you add to Christ, you're essentially subtracting Christ. You can't add anything to Christ without essentially subtracting all of what Christ has done because it becomes without value. And so that's part of why we would even have a stance that we would have at Calvary Church on something like baptism, right? That what we believe about baptism is that baptism is not something that saves you, okay? It's not a work that you need for salvation because if, if it was, then it would become something that we add to what Christ has done. But we firmly believe that Christ has done that work and we simply by faith receive that gift that Christ has given us And that is what we trust in. We trust in him. We can't add a work or we're subtracting what Christ has done. And so that's that warning that he has here, this warning in the first movement. But then we move to the second movement of our symphony. That is in verses 5 through 9, that through the Spirit we wait through hope. So let's check it out. Verse 5. It says, For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. Now the negative. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. All right, so you've got this part where it's just getting us into this part where we have to believe that it is through the work of the Holy Spirit. By faith. We have faith in the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that is how any of this is accomplished. By faith, through the Spirit, we wait for hope. 
even part of our vision statement of Calvary is that it says we're being changed by the gospel. Okay? We are being changed by the gospel. So yes, we are saved by the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. But we, are also, we also live each day now through that same power. Right? We live each day by the power of the gospel. We were saved by the work of the Holy Spirit. We live each day by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so that's what we mean when we're saying we're being changed by the gospel. That, that yeah, we are saved by the power of the gospel. We're also living by the power of the gospel. And so each moment we rely upon God by faith. And everything is all about relying on God for what he will do. There's this uh, just kind of silly story of, of uh, my wife B and I. We were on this, uh, this trip down to Mexico. My parents um, owned this house uh, on the coast of Mexico, but it's, about, it's pretty far. It's about a five-hour drive from here. It's about two hours or so south of Ensenada uh, on the coast in the middle of nothing. Okay, there is nothing nearby. You go way off on this dirt road, off the highway, out to the coast, and there's this little community of 30 homes about that, and then north of it, nothing, south of it, nothing for forever. Like, it's just nothing for maybe on the highway about a half hour drive, you know? And so it's just this place is in the middle of nowhere. And my parents had just got this brand new quad, right? Like the ATV, little four-wheel motorbike thing. And so we were excited to go out on this quad. And uh, so we're on it together. And we're, we're flying south on the beach. And it's cool because you can just go wherever you want. It's like no law, you know? And, uh, and, uh, and we were just going all over the place, going where we want. There's this, we even passed this little spot we call Dead Beach, which was like our favorite beach because it was just full of like dead sea creatures that have beached themselves. There'd be like stingrays and fish and lobsters and birds. And there was even a full-on huge like whole whale that beached itself in this spot. But nobody does anything, you know? It just sits there forever until it just decomposes. It's awesome. And, uh, <laughs> and so we love just going down there and looking at all the weird dead stuff. And so then we would keep driving, and we were, like, driving for over an hour and just messing around, having fun on the beach. So we are way out there, several miles south uh, of my parents' house. And the way it looks, it's got, like, got the ocean and then the beach, and then it goes up to a big dune. And this big dune then goes down, and then we could see on the other side of the dune, it was sort of like a salt flat, okay? It looked like a salt flat. It was just this super flat ground, and it's just sort of dusted with the sea salt all over it. And so in my mind, I'm like, yeah, we're going to go down the hill. We're going to hit it, like set land speed records like they do out in like Nevada or wherever, you know? Like, and, and just kind of mess, just being silly. It's just, it's dumb. And, uh, but this is how my brain works, a little imaginative mind. And uh, so we, we go down this hill. We're like, all right. We go down the hill, we're getting it as fast as this little thing can go, and we hit the salt flat, and we're going out, we're doing good, and as we get about 100 feet out, we are no longer moving, we are now sinking. And what has happened about 100 feet out, we've sunk into this black, sticky, stinky mud. And it was just really, like, it was just gross. It smelled bad. I Seriously, I don't know what it is. First service, I was, like, asking if anybody would know what that is, and nobody, nobody talked to me afterwards. I don't know. It was gross. I'm afraid of what it is. But, um, <laughs> but I remember I stepped off the quad, and I stepped into the mud, and I sunk almost down to my waist. It was so deep and thick and gross, and it was just above the tires of the quad. And I'm just like, oh, no, man, what are we going to do? And I look around, and, and I tr- like, we tried to, like, walk back to this, um, the sand area because it, it wouldn't move. It was just completely stuck. I tried to get off to the side of it and just go, like, walking along it, but it still wouldn't move. It was just stuck. 
And it's like every time you want to walk to the sand, it's like... You know, like that crazy, like just weird, just gross. You're trying to get your shoes to stay on. And, and you know, it's like a struggle and it's hot out. And you're starting to sweat. And I'm just like, what do I do? There's no trees around here. There's no branches. There's nothing. And, you know, because I want to like figure out if I can get something underneath the tires to try and, and get some traction. And there's all there is is these tiny little bushes with like little sticks like this long and these little tiny leaves. And so we're just going around and we decide, okay, fine. And we're like picking off all these little sticks and leaves and trying to like hold them in your, sh- you know, when you hold stuff in your shirt and like, and then carry it out. <laughs> You know, as we get all the way back to where it is and like, and then you got to walk all the way back, you know, and it's this crazy process. And over an hour of us gathering all these little tiny twigs and stuff, and we're putting them in trying to line the track and and get some traction. And so I'm just like, okay, we're getting exhausted. We're far away, you know, we're in the middle of nowhere. And so I'm like, okay, here's what, I I finally get all that stuff in. I go up, I stand next to it, get it started. Thank God it starts. And then, uh, and I put it in reverse and go to go. And it's just like, and just spits mud all over the place, and it doesn't move at all. And I'm just like, uh, you know, kind of freak out moment. And I'm starting to freak out. I'm thinking about, like, how far away we are and everything. And I just had this moment where all of a sudden I just go, God, help us! I literally screamed that out loud like that, just super loud. And B standing on the stand over there like, oh, dear Lord. Hubby's lost it, you know? (laughs) But I felt like this moment of like, I don't know what to do. I'm so frustrated. And I just like, I'm helpless. I can't do this. I think we're just stuck here. I got to walk like several miles back to my parents' house, like get a truck or something, come back. I don't know what we're going to do, how we're going to do this. And I'm just like, oh. And it's like, okay, let's just gather some more sticks. <laughs> and so we, and, and again, sticks is like a relative term when they're about this long. And so we're doing the whole thing, gathering a bunch more sticks. And I line the trail again. And I'm just like, let's just try one more time for whatever reason, whether it's God or what. I don't know at this point, but I started up and I'm standing alongside of it and it starts to move and it's like, and I'm like going to reverse, like trying to walk in this mud while reversing this thing and it does work and it gets all the way out. And I just remember, I was like, thank you, Jesus, you know, <laughs> in this weird, just guttural moment of just like, oh, and it's like so dumb. I don't know at some level, like, did God get me out of the mud? I don't know. But I knew in the moment where I was, all I felt like was is that that's all I could do was cry out, you know? And that's a silly thing at some level. It would have been hassle, but we would have figured it out probably. But there's often a lot more important stuff in our life, right? And sometimes we are in life sort of stuck in these moments that we can't get out of on our own. And we don't know what to do. And we are just lost and trapped. And it's those moments of, of heartbreak or it's those moments where something happens in our life where we lose someone or we lose a job or we lose a home or whatever. You know, there's these moments of life that we don't know what to do ourselves and we cry out to God. And it's those moments where we have to remember that we can't just dig our own way out, right? Like that we have to, through faith... Through the Spirit of God, by faith, we wait on the hope that we have in Jesus. And that's, sometimes that's all we have, you know, is we wait on the hope of Jesus. 
And that's why Paul gets so upset, you know, when these people come in and they try to get these, these people to, to leave this, this trust and faith in Christ. And he try, they try to come in and say, no, 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 but you got to do this other stuff too, you know. You got to do this stuff, add this stuff to the gospel. And he says doing that is like adding, it's like a little leaven that leavens the whole lump of dough. Where just All you need is a little leaven to impact all of that dough. And, you know, leaven's talked about like sin in Scripture. And then leaven here is talked about as these people that come in with a false gospel. And this false gospel of, of works. And so it could be this false gospel of works or some other false gospel. But it comes in and it impacts. And there's even uh, in 1 Corinthians, in this other passage, Paul uses the same exact language. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? He says it again to the people of Corinth. Uh, He says, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. This new lump of dough that is fresh and not, doesn't have the impact of sin or the impact of this false gospel upon it. Just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we come to God with this sincerity and truth and recognition that we struggle, but we trust in the work that God does and in that work alone. And so then it heads us into this third movement, okay? This third movement is this part where he, he's given them this encouragement, this strong encouragement, but then it goes crazy that you're going to see in a second, okay? So he says in verse 10, I have confidence in you, right? He's just like, I have confidence in you. It's going to be good. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. And then here, check this out, verse 12. He says, I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. What he's saying there, this is where it gets super intense. He says, these people, these Judaizers who want to tell you that you have to follow the law and be circumcised. He says, they tell you to be circumcised. It would be better that they castrate themselves. That's what that means. It's like, whoa, Bible? You know, that's in the Bible? Yeah, and that's, that's intense, and that is strong. And there are times that we need to be that strong with our language because when these lies come in that distract people from following Christ and recognizing that it is from grace and grace alone that we are saved and that we don't need to earn our salvation or even earn God's love and acceptance... But it's when those lies come in that he says, no, it would be better that that person castrates themselves than that you are told lies. Because you need to be told the truth of who God is. Because he says, I have confidence in you that in the Lord you can do this. I have confidence in you in the Lord. Not I have confidence in you in your intelligence or in your strength of character or in your obedience or in your knowledge of the Bible, or your, the amount of minutes you pray, or how few times you sin in a year. I don't have confidence in you because of that. I have confidence in you in the Lord, and I believe in you. And you could do this. 
Because you trust in God. And so I want us to get that message. I want us to let that sink into our core. I mean, this, this, <laughs> this book of Galatians it, it can get a little repetitive, right? I mean, it's driving this point home. It is driving the point home that we cannot trust in our works. We must trust in the power of Jesus. So may that sink in. And when that does, that you can have confidence that you'll be able to stand firm. But if we are to keep standing firm, that will take honesty and vulnerability about the things that we end up trusting in or that are easy for us to trust in other than the work of Christ. So be real with yourself. Be real with others around you about the ways that it's easy for you to to get into whatever that lie might be for you. Is it a works-based legalism? Is it, you know, your own obedience and your own sort of following the rules? Maybe you've trusted in that. Maybe you've trusted in this or, or you're off base because of like this consumerism that we've talked about, about how church and the Christian life is all about how I feel or what I get out of the deal rather than what I can give. Or maybe you've begun to sort of construct your, your whole faith, your whole Christian living in this you know, way that is like according to whatever you think is right versus what the authority of Scripture is, Right? And so you have to recognize the lies that you've believed and the ways that you have gotten off track or the ways that you've trusted in things other than the power of Jesus. Keep standing firm in that Christ has already set you free. And it is for a life of freedom that he has set you free. Believe it. Trust it. Don't trust yourselves. And then allow God to work in you. So we're going to move then into a moment where we worship God and praise him for who he is. That he is, that, that Jesus Christ is the solid rock that we stand on. That it was for freedom that we were set free. We're going to sing those words. And as we sing those words, we also have a chance to come and respond. We'll have stations around the room. And you can see them. Like we have buckets where you can come and you can give your offerings as you give to the Lord. You can come and remember the work that Jesus did on the cross through communion as, as you take from, as you receive the, the bread, the bread that represents his body that was given for you, as you um, receive the juice from the cup that represents Christ's blood that was shed for you, is from that is why we're set free, so we remember what he's done. There'll also be these prayer points. Over here you can see that there'll be people just available to pray for you. I'll, I'll be over here. I'd love to pray with you about any ways that this gets hard or just whatever else is going on in life. So let's pray through these things. Let's, let's give and let's, um, let's just begin to soak in this message of our freedom in Christ. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we come before you and we, well, we thank you that you have set us free, that it has been accomplished. And Lord, we don't need to keep trying to accomplish it for you. But simply by faith, trust in you, Lord. And so God, I pray that that would sink into our hearts as well as our heads. And that we would live out this life in all that we do, Lord, out of love and joy. Not just out of some sort of rules or requirements or obligations that we feel like we would have. And so God, I pray uh, as we worship that this message would sink into our hearts. In Jesus' name.